Heavenly Father, today as we come before you and we look at these uh, words from your Holy Word, uh, these scriptures, we know they've been given to us for a reason. Some of these, which we will be looking at today, we don't necessarily spend a lot of time with, but we know that you put them there for a reason. We ask that you would come to us now and give us understanding Help us to know that which you would have us to know. Throw out anything that is of man and, and help us to uplift Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, as you know, if you've been uh, here uh, the last few times I've been speaking, we are in the book of Luke. We are taking a somewhat of a verse-by-verse verse study. So we're progressing slowly but surely through Luke chapter 1. Today's passage is Luke 1, 41 to 60. And as I stated before, one of the things I like about this kind of study is that you don't skip over certain parts that never get read. Everything gets read, everything hopefully gets um, digested as we have understanding. Um, the, I've titled today's message, Blessings and Praise for God's Goodness. And so if you're keeping notes, you can write down that title and pay attention as you're writing down these points. Uh, when we last left Mary, you know, it's, I, I kind of was thinking about this, and, and it kind of reminds me of those old uh, radio shows that were serials, and you kind of were left in suspense about what was going to happen next. And, and I think that the Bible is much the same way. I think we kind of cheapen the Bible, and we kind of think, well, it's just this old book, and... Uh, we, we go to it for wisdom, but it's not really that interesting. I think even we as Christians can kind of have this attitude. And I think that as I've been studying for this series, I've really begun to realize that, hey, this, this afresh, because I knew it before, but that this book is actually really exciting. And there's a lot here. So as we dig in, just keep that in mind. Um, and the first point we're going to look at, or the first part we're going to look at, is Elizabeth's proclamation. And this is in Luke one forty one. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her of the Lord. And so we have Mary. She's come to Elizabeth. She's just had the bombshell dropped on her. 
that she is going to have a baby despite the fact that she has never been with a man in that way and there's no earthly possible way that this could be the case um, and we don't read about Joseph's response in Luke we have it here in uh, we have it in Matthew so we know that he, he dealt with this um, in his way over time but we're not sure at this point whether uh, Joseph found out here or later but we know that uh, they were dealing with this one way or the other. It's quite possible, I, I seem to read the text here to say that as soon as Mary found out about this, she said, I'm going to go to Elizabeth because she's probably the only one on the face of the earth right now that can understand what I'm going through because she too had been given this impossible news. And so this is the context in which we find um, the, the main characters of the story at this point. And there's a couple interesting things here. First, you read in, in that first verse there, and it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with, with the Holy Ghost. Now, if you remember... Uh, John, it was said of John that he would be filled with the Holy Ghost from birth. And so because Elizabeth was carrying John, <clears throat> God gave her a dose, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. And what does she do with it? She prophesies for the Lord. And so when God endues people with his Holy Spirit it's for his purposes and for the glory of his name I think sometimes people can um, sometimes even in a sense over glorify the Holy Spirit and kind of tailor it to their own ends but we see that as the Holy Spirit is at work here that it's to God's ends and for his glory another thing that's interesting is it's prophesied of John the Baptist that he will be as, a, as one who cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And so unlike any other human baby before him, he is already doing this from the womb. Think about that. He's already proclaiming to his mother that Jesus is on the way. That's a pretty amazing thought. And then um, Elizabeth goes on and she encourages Mary. Mary probably was feeling confused and and out of sorts at this point. But Elizabeth uses the same words essentially as the angel had. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And what is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And you know, as I was studying for this sermon today, I was thinking about Mary. And I decided to do a Google search about Mary and see um, some of what people said about Mary. And of course, it led me to some Catholic websites and it talked about 
how they venerated Mary. Um, one of them said that they stopped short of worship of her. So they tried to make that clear that they weren't worshiping her. But it seems pretty evident in what I've studied of them that they hold her in too high a regard. But they say that uh, a lot of times Protestants are insecure with um, the way to regard Mary, so they put her down. I'm not here to put Mary down at all. I think it's pretty evident by the response that she gave the angel and by the response that we're about to read in the scriptures that Mary was a godly woman who loved God, who put God first, and God visited Mary with a very special task because of who God was in her life and the importance that he had in her life. But we must be careful to realize that Mary, like us, was a human being a sinner in need of a savior. And as we go through the remainder of the text today, that will become even more clear. But it's so important because the Bible says there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It doesn't say two mediators, it says one. <clears throat> and then uh, Elizabeth kind of voices the blessing that she feels. She says, And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come unto me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of these things which were told to her. You know, the human experience is if someone tells us something, what's the first thing we want to do? We want to see it. If, if, somebody, if somebody tells me that someone I know died, then I want proof. I want to talk to somebody who knows all the details. I want proof before me. Or if, or if something happens in the world, where do I go to find out if it's true? I go to the newspaper or I go to my news channel to see if it's true. But God's economy is a little different because he doesn't often give us the details first. He essentially says, obey first, understand later. There were many times when he did that. With Gideon, Gideon starts out with 32,000 men. Still a relatively small number compared to the Midianites, but he says, hey, this isn't half bad. God says it's too many. So he gets down to 3,000. He says, well, it's not as good as 32,000, but surely... With God's help, we can take the Midianites. And then God comes back and says, that's still too many, because still, when they are victorious, they will say, by our arm and by the strength of our hand, have we delivered the people from the Midianites. 
So he gets down to 300, and finally God says, finally God says, I can get the glory through this, so I'm going to use them. And they won the victory, and they won it without lifting up their hand to harm a single soul. Because God was in control. Because the battle was the Lord. And Elizabeth says here, Blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of these things which were told to her from the Lord. Everything that God says either has come true or will come true. There's only only two possibilities for the word of God. Either it has come true or it will come true. And Elizabeth is saying here, because you believe God, the things that he told you will come true. Could somebody look up and read John 20, 29? John 20, 29. This is Jesus talking to Thomas. And he says something very similar to what we just read. John 20, 29. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. Alright. So we, we see basically the same idea. Jesus is coming to Thomas. He's meeting Thomas where he is. He's saying, Thomas, thank you for believing in me. I, I'm so glad he did that. <clears throat> it really encourages me. Because he could have said, you're so foolish, Thomas. I can't believe I'm having this conversation with you. But he didn't. He said, blessed are you, Thomas, for believing in me. But then he followed that up with, blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. And that's us brothers and sisters. That's us. And one day we will see him. We, we sang that song earlier in the breaking of bread. Face to face, I shall behold him. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to touching and handling my Savior as the disciples did to spending time and eternity at his feet. So, after Elizabeth's proclamation, Elizabeth's encouragement to Mary, her response comes next. That starts in Luke 1, 46. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty 
hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. I just want to stop here real quick and say, I don't know about you, but I wish that all of these he and his in these verses were capitalized. Because Mary realized that there was nothing about her that was special. But it was the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose power was at work here. Let's just read that again. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham, and to his seed forever. If you circled every he or his in this passage, you'd have a lot of circles in your Bible. But that's because Mary is reflecting on the goodness of God. Mary doesn't talk about herself at all in this passage. She's simply saying, the God who did this stuff in the past is still doing stuff now. He did it. And he is mighty. And I, I have to believe, because of her, especially because of her reverence to Abraham, that Abraham was that Mary was familiar with the Torah. And she was familiar with all that God had done for the children of Israel. So that was probably behind what she meant when she said, He that is mighty hath done to me great things. And holy is his name. He hath shown strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. You know what this makes me think of? This makes me think of the Pharaoh in Egypt. The Pharaoh thought he was so powerful. Uh, the Egyptians thought that Pharaoh was God. A son of God in, in a divine way. And for the first couple plagues of Egypt, uh, the Pharaoh thought, well, I'm pretty good because my magician, magicians can copy everything you're doing. But eventually, there was nothing he could do to stop the power of God. As a matter of fact, his own officers, people that worked for him, 
said, this is the finger of God. You have no chance against him. Let these people go. And he lets them go. And then he comes back and says, why did I let them go? There's so much work to be done and I don't have my labor force anymore. So he goes to the Red Sea. He thinks again that he's going to capture them. He even goes into the sea, or at least his officers do. And then they're swallowed up because God closes the sea on their heads. And then the children of Israel sing the song to God. The Lord has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider have he thrown into the sea. And I bring this up because I want you to realize this is the God that Mary is talking about. And she is saying that if God can subdue the armies of Israel and do all the other mighty things that he did for our forefathers, then surely he can visit me and bring me a baby and give me the power to raise him. Do you ever think about what that must have been like? And we'll continue to study this as we go on through Luke. But what it must have been like to raise the very Son of God. I, I, I've never been a mother. I never will be a mother. But I've talked to people that are mothers and they have a connection with their babies even before they're born. Even the unborn child and his mother have a connection. And so I can only imagine what it must have been like to have the very Son of God growing in your womb. But Mary trusted God. And then she says, And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Think about this. If we were good people, if Mary was having Jesus because she was a good person, what use would she have to cite God's mercy? Good people don't need mercy. But Jesus said no one is good but God alone. So that leaves the rest of us in dire need of mercy. Are you reaching out for God's mercy today? Oh, I hope and pray that it's so, because there's nothing like it. Nothing at all. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. Who else but God? would take a man that in God's eyes, in man's eyes, was everything that a king was supposed to be, King Saul. He was head and shoulders above everyone. He was a man's man, if you will. Who else but God would take him out of his place of power and replace him with a shepherd boy? Who not only was a shepherd boy, but was the youngest in his home, and when when Jesse came to anoint a king, he was not even called to the meeting. Because there's no possible way that he could be he could be crowned king. 
And yet it was from the very line of David that Jesus Christ came. Jesus was called the son of David and he never disputed that fact. God promised David that his kingdom would reign forever and indeed it will. For Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then, kind of finishing our survey of the Old Testament, this is exciting to me. I hope it is to you. He talks about he had helped, she talks about he had helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Remember in Genesis, I think it's chapter 19, when God tells Abraham to get out from his kindred and from his people, he says to Abraham, your descendants will be as the sand of the seashore. He who blesses you will be blessed. He who curses you will be cursed. And by your seed will all peoples of the earth be blessed. So even in that short passage, we see that God, even then, had a plan and a heart for the Gentiles. For those who are not of the chosen of Israel, who would be grafted in later. I'm so thankful for the mercy of God. That even the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. And those crumbs are delicious. And I want to share this quote. It's by a guy named Athanasius. I don't know much about him, but he was an early church father of some sort. And he said this of Jesus. He said, He became what we are that he might make us what he is. He became what we are that he might make us what he is. What a wonderful thought. Could somebody look up and read for me Psalm 138, verse 6? Psalm 138, verse 6. Though the Lord be high, he hath respect to the lowly. Mary said it this way. He said, for he, she said, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. Of all the families for the king of kings to be born into, the world will look at this and say, why? As a matter of fact, when, when people were trying to come to grips with, with who Jesus was as he was going about in his ministry, they said, is this not just the carpenter's son? 
Yes, he lived with a carpenter while he was on earthly life. He probably was a carpenter. But he was also the one who was there when the world was breathed into existence. Can you imagine that the one who was there when the earth was spoken into existence stepped into a human body which he had created. And not only a human body, but he didn't just come as an adult and show up and say, I'm Jesus, this is how you do things. He came as a baby. He was born of a woman. Every once in a while, I, I start to think, and I'm like, what would it have been like to change the diapers of the Son of God? Or to hold his tiny hands in yours. And for Joseph too, there was an old song that Michael Card used to sing called Joseph's Song. And it was from Joseph's perspective how, how he wasn't Joseph's son and yet Joseph agreed with God that he would take the responsibility. We also read that Jesus was in subjection to them. How marvelous. As we move on to our last section, we see God's promise to Elizabeth fulfilled. So the third point is a promise kept. The difference between a human being and God, one of them, there are many, but one of them is we're all good at making promises. Most of us could honestly be termed as promise makers. We should aspire to be promise keepers. But there is one who is the ultimate promise keeper, and that is God. God never heard of an empty promise. He always fulfills them. And we see in this passage one such time that was very important. In Luke 156 we read, And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. Now Elizabeth full-time came that she should be delivered. And she brought forth a son, and her neighbors and cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. And I could have gone on from there, but we're going to wait till next time and find out exactly what happens to Zacharias and Elizabeth. But just to bring out a couple things. You know, there, there are people that struggle with miscarriage, and I know some who have. And I got to wonder if 
Maybe those who were close to Elizabeth kind of feared that, even though God had made his promises, because Elizabeth was past the traditional age of childbearing. But God was faithful, and he gave her what he told her he would give her. And so, the time comes for the neighbors and the cousins and everybody to get together and rejoice with her and be there on the eighth day when her child was named. And it was a, it was a common thing back then to be named after your father. And so they just assumed this is his firstborn son. His name is going to be Zacharias. And his mother said, he will be called John. Because God had told them that they were to name their son John. When God gives us something, there's responsibility attached to it. It's not just he's giving us gifts and then walking away and hoping we get it right. No, he gives us very explicit instructions. When he's talking to children, he says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother that it may be well with you. So he doesn't just give children parents and not tell them what to do. When he gives a father a child, he says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He doesn't just give the father the child and say, do whatever you want. So God's direction to Elizabeth and Zacharias when he gave them this child was to name him John. This is much the same type of direction that he gave to Joseph and Mary when he said, His name shall be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. As we close, I just want to look at one more quick passage, 1 Corinthians 12, 26. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. This just kind of reflects a little bit more on what Elizabeth's friends were going through as they were um, as they heard of this birth and as they were rejoicing with her. So if somebody has that, if they could read it. First Corinthians twelve twenty six. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Very simple, straightforward, but true. I don't know what tasks God is going to give you. He sent his son into the world. That task is done. The person who is endowed with that earthly task has been chosen. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't have other work for you to do. I know for me, I don't know about you, but I know for me, it can be hard sometimes 
to not look at the work that he's given other people to do and wonder if I should be able to do it. Instead of focusing on that which he has given me to do. So I would encourage you to rejoice with those who rejoice, to mourn with those who mourn, to embrace the unity that we have in the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then these passages that we just read have no personal significance to you. But they can. Because the blood of Jesus Christ is available to anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Because see, this baby that's about to be born in the passages we're studying, he didn't stay a baby. He grew up, and at 33 years of age, those hands that his mother held, those fingers that he count, she counted, would be stretched out on a Roman cross and nailed there for our sake. And then he would rise again victorious on the third day, putting an end to sin and hell and the grave. The grave today is a temporary destination for our earthly bodies if we trust him. But there will be a resurrection. Actually, whether you trust him or not, your body will be resurrected. So that's not even in question. The question is, where will it be resurrected to? Will it be resurrected to heaven? Or will it be resurrected to hell and eternal fire, which will never burn up? That's the question that you have to ask for yourself today and hopefully answer before your head hits the pillow tonight. May we all seek him honestly this week. And may you know that the God who came still comes. And the God who moved still moves today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the stories of these women who are faithful to you, who trusted you, and who you entrusted to bring your messengers into the world. First, John the Baptist, who you said, there is no greater born of a woman, who was faithful to the end, even to his death. And then, of course, to Jesus Christ, the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, who fulfilled every requirement that was against us and nailed those to the cross so that we could live in victory. Lord, I pray that those around this room We'll be living in victory today. I ask that you would be with us. I ask that you would bless them and keep them and make your face shine upon them and give them peace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.